Yeah. Uh, all right. Okay. I'm going, I'm going in this cold turkey. Okay. <laughs> it's weird, man. All right. We're just going to, yeah. I, <laughs> we're going to do something. We're, we're going to take, we're just going to go off our cuff. We're just going to, yeah. how much knowledge? We're, we didn't write any notes or anything, but we're just going to talk right. about uh, uh, this movie. Uh, what would we like to de- dedicate it to? How? What? Oh, who should we dedicate it to? We um, could. Um, I don't know. I could, I'd like to dedicate it to my wife because she had the moxie when we were dating that uh, she actually was willing to watch it. Now that we're married, uh, yeah. she won't watch it. With me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So. No, there you are. All right. We, we got to dedicate it to your wife, Cindy. Yeah. Okay, we're back on the St. Paul Filmcast. I'm Nick. I am Dan. And Dan's returned, so of course we're going to talk about some wonderful old classical movies. Yeah. Uh, and we decided we were going to pick one of your favorites, which is Excalibur. Excalibur. Uh, and when I was a kid, I always loved the King Arthur saga yeah. and all that. And uh, in the early 80s, there was kind of a resurgence of fantasy films that were coming out. I yeah. don't know if it was because of the popularity of Dungeons and Dragons yeah. that was hitting the scene at the time. It could be. Uh, but all of a sudden, there was Sword and the Sorcerer, and Disney was doing Dragon Slayer. Yeah. And uh, you had Excalibur, which has a, you know, there were other films that came out prior to that, like Star Wars, which relies heavily on uh, the right. Arthurian cycle. Do you think it started? Um, I, I, I think, think it did. Star Wars I, Center, the rejuvenation. I think Star Wars did because yeah. in Luke Skywalker you have a young Arthur and then you have Obi-Wan Kenobi obviously as Merlin right. uh, yeah. who is you know kind of this father figure who is also his spiritual guide with the force and uh, I think that it was an easy jump to go from Star Wars to Excalibur. And Excalibur, this is 1981. Yes. Uh, it's summer? Did it come out of the summer? Summer of 81. And it's interesting because John Borman initially didn't want to. It wasn't uh, that he didn't want to. It's just that uh, he got all the sets and all the um, this area that he rented out in Ireland to film because uh, he was planning on doing a live action Lord of the Rings. And that's the really cool thing about it. So he had all the sets. He had a script. He was all ready to go. And then Ralph Bashke beat him to the punch and made the animated Lord of the oh, Rings. Oh, right. Yeah. So. And so when you see, when you watch Excalibur, yeah. um, a lot of this, you know, you the castles, everything, the backdrop, the armor, um, You to a certain extent, you have to think to yourself, this was planned for Lord of the Rings. And uh, I've got some theories where, like, uh, Guinevere's uh, castle, where um, her father um, was played by uh, Patrick Stewart. Yes. Um, that castle, I believe, was Helm, was planning on being Helm's Deep. <laughs> I think Right, because so. in the story isn't uh, the castle up high. Yes. And the deep is down low. Yep. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I, I bet that was Helm's Deep. Also, another scene... Uh, just before the last battle with Mordred and Mordred had his army, you will see a line of Mordred soldiers at night. And if you look at them, 
they're hardly human. They're disfigured and they they they're oh wow I'm gonna have to watch. okay I have to see that again you know? they are orcs they are orcs and then you think to yourself well they've been they've been distorted because of the evilness because yeah. of Morgana and so it works out okay and you don't yeah. really question it but I think that was um, something left over from the idea of it going to be Lord of the Rings and, it, and it's not intentional I think actually one of the starts of talk why are we doing Excalibur because I did my solo review on Neil uh, John Borman's Point Blank oh with, with Lee the Mar- Patrick Swayze no, oh no no, no no the other the earlier one yeah. Point Blank with yeah. Lee Marvin with Lee Marvin yes. and um, I don't know I I I, I would I don't know if I reiterate this story to you, but John Borman, uh, you should, you should, we can go back and listen to my review about Point Blake. Sure. But during the shooting of it, the him and Lee Marvin were at a bar in Malibu, and of course Lee had too much, and so <laughs> and, John, and which you would have a tendency of doing. Yeah, so John's like, "You're not driving," and it was a big fight, uh-huh. and Lee Marvin would have notable. He was famous for having, you know, a wild, <laughs> wild attitude. Uh, after Tuggle, finally John got the keys away from him. Yeah, but Lee Marvin was like, "I'm not riding passenger of you driving." So, <laughs> <laughs> so John Borman drove Lee Marvin home down Malibu with him on top of his car. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> and the cops pulled him over. It's one of it was one of the famous stories, you know. Yeah. Like, Do you know you got Lee Marvin on your hood? Yeah, I tried to get him in the car. It's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, that's the other thing that the John Borman directed. This one, this is kind of his. Last really good movie, I think. I I agree. Yeah. Um. He with with Borman, it, it's hit or miss. You know. I mean, yeah. you're either going to get like Deliverance, or you're going to get Exorcist to the Heretic. Yeah. Um. He has a tendency of wanting to make it his own, and he's a very intelligent director. Um. Uh, once you realize, or Zardoz, right. you know, he he's. None of his films are boring. There's always something going on with them. And I would say all his characters, especially like Point Blank and Dilbert, they're way over the top. They're yes. highly exaggerated. They are. Yeah. And uh, um, Deliverance is a is an excellent film. And he, uh, uh, even with Exorcist to the Heretic, it's, yeah. he could have easily have made a just a rehash of The Exorcist. And I think actually that's what the audience was expecting. Right. Probably they probably would have loved it. Most slasher films or you know, if that, it's not a slasher film, but most, you know, horror films can ha- kind of have a tendency of kind of more of the same. Yep. But if you watch Exorcist to the Heretic, even though it didn't do well, um, it's not for lack of trying to be original. You know, it right. does try to be original. It, uh, and that's Borman. Um, I said, uh, when well, it's kind of, I, I, I regard him a little bit of a, He'd probably be – we talked about in our prep that he'd probably yeah. be regarded as a journeyman as a director. But there are some well-established things he did in movies that yeah. it just nobody would ever – he would do things that nobody else would do. Like bring French New Wave into a noir story, yeah. like Point Blake. Yeah. He's a very intelligent man. Yeah. And the thing is, is a lot of directors, when they saw Excalibur, they um, thought um, – well, this is like a high school production. They're all stilted and they're all right. saying their lines straight. And well, you have to take in consideration that these are very good actors. You know, you have Nigel Terry, oh. who you know has done Shakespeare, and you have uh, um, you know um, well, Helen uh, Mirren is yep. in it, and Patrick Stewart, who also is from the Shakespeare Company, and uh, you know uh, Williams. Uh, what was yeah. it? Uh, 
yeah. Nicole Williams. Nicole Williams, mm-hmm. who plays Merlin. Yeah. These are very, very good actors. The thing is, is it was done on purpose. The stilted dialogue was there out of necessity to create this kind of dignity through distance right. um, to invoke um, what Borman wanted was in the 19th century there was this resurgence of kind of this Arthurian cycle of the um, kind of what they called the Celtic uh, you know uh, uh, movement and a lot of the Arthurian cycle came from the parallels between chivalry and Victorian values. Okay, yeah. And that's what he wanted to convey. Not so much the Middle Ages, but the Victorian idea of the Middle Ages. I like that. Yeah. 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 Um, it's very, it's for a sweeping epic, there's a lot, and I watched it, um, God, I completely forgot why. I, see, I did see it before, but it's nice that I watched it again for this. Yeah. There's a lot more intimacy than I thought there was. There it, is. I thought yeah. it'd be more... You know, when you see, oh, we're going to do Excalibur, this is, but I thought it'd be more sweeping epic. There's a lot more intimate moments than you would imagine. It's yeah, yeah. it's true. Um, it, it does, it's a lot of close-ups, a lot of uh, yeah. uh, dealing with the characters. Because even when you get the Lady of the Lake, it's very, like, it's almost like a pond. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's true. And you got that, that double reflection where you see her. Yeah. And uh, um, I, there was a friend of mine that was had a very big problem with why are they using Wagner's music? Well, that also conveys that idea of nationalism and uh, Victorian, you know, because Wagner was from the Victorian era. It was to tie in with uh, that kind of 19th century idea of what Arthur was, right? you know, um, as, as a figure. And uh, it, I, I, I thought it when I was a kid. I didn't have these lofty thoughts. I just thought, oh, this is good. You know, <laughs> I mean, the sword fighting is awesome, and you know, and all that. And uh, I, I just enjoyed it. Now, yeah. my friends were kind of torn between it. Some thought it was boring. Some thought it was just the greatest thing in the world. I was, you know, part of the latter. Yeah. You know, think he was. Well, the I think thing in the it's world. Not, it didn't get all that celebrated. Um, mm, yeah. yeah, yeah, it got. Like lukewarm reviews. It was I think pe- I think people, it's kind of cultish. People it is. love the people love it are not um, heavily movie critics, but there's people that are very geeky who love this movie. Yeah, there's definitely a fanboy base for right, Excalibur, yeah. and when you look at the other um, fantasy films that came out that time, Dragon Slayer is very good. Sword and the Sorcerer is useless. Beastmaster, uh, I think John, I think uh, David Carradine did right. I think a couple Con- of cheapos. Yeah, Conan. Conan. Um, was that a little bit later? Yeah, it's a little bit later. It's Conan, uh, the first one uh, that was done by John Milius, I think is on par with Excalibur, maybe a little less. Um, but I think out of out of that uh, ilk that came out during the early 80s, I think yeah. Excalibur is one of the best. Um, so the rejuvenation of fantasy, and usually I think John Borman always wanted to do King Arthur. He wanted to do something yes. like this. And finally, I think he got so exhausted doing this movie that he, <laughs> I think after a while, he didn't make very many movies after this. No, he didn't. Um, and I was going to mention uh, Nicole Williams. Yes. Uh, who's a very accomplished English actor. Yeah, I think he played Sherlock Holmes in a couple movies. He did. Yeah. Um, he's also played, he rejuvenated kind of this Merlin role for the movie Spawn. 
he did the same kind of old man. Oh, did he really? Yeah, in the movie Spawn. Um, his name is uh, Calypso, and he's one of these wise old people, you know, and he rejuvenated the same thing as, like, Merlin. Okay. But, um, yeah, in Spawn, he did the same thing. He he was also in um, Exorcist Three, <laughs> almost a cameo as one of the priests um, to uh, – to, to, which is which is just kind of a sideways, you know, uh, by the way, sort of thing. But. The, the the other aspect is uh, BBC. I don't know which channel did a documentary of the making of Excalibur. I we cannot find it. It's not available anywhere. So wow, I was that's... looking for it. Um, obviously, there's advertisement for it. Obviously, it got aired. So I think in Britain, you could able to see this documentary. You got everybody to talk about it from oh, Patrick. Yeah. Uh, Patrick uh, Stewart and Liam Neeson, all these people. Uh, Liam Neeson yeah. just has a uh, um, just starting out. I just mean, starting he's, out. He's yeah. just a young kid. Uh, uh, he's the one that uh, he plays Gawain, and he he denies. Um, well, he's he's saying that there's hey there's a tryst going on between <laughs> Lancelot and yeah. and Guinevere, and he's yeah. right. Yeah. You know he's he's right. Yep. Um, you know it's Arthur that you know believes the lie, but it's. Uh, uh, it's beautifully made. When you watch the film, it's you can tell that there's a lot of love there. They went, they they um, they Borman took his time with this. Every yeah. every yeah. Uh, um, camera shot and angle and uh, it's none of none of it's wasted. It's all meant for a purpose. Now I would say if you notice, he does a hierarchy shot of making sure like um, like Morgana's castles where the hierarchy steps so yes you'll see a lot of that hierarchy of love elevation yep of low looking up and people stiffed so there's a almost like a triangular frame shot and there's, he's that yes pretty, there's a lot of those yeah, yeah from from look from looking down yeah yeah um the uh another argument some people have was that uh in well first they would say hey you know, um, the time that Arthur was around, which Arthur is alleged, he's all, well, Arthur is, um, you know, a a true story, Artorius, but he's also, uh, he's also built of legend, you know, and and the mysticism of time, it's, he's, he's a legend. They said, well, they didn't have any armor back then. There again, if you look at a lot of the paintings from the 19th century, right. Lancelot, Arthur, they're all wearing armor. It has nothing to do with reality. It has everything to do with the legend. And yeah. that's where Borman went with it. Yeah. You know, that in it was the, that the story is true, but it's true. It, it has truths in it because of La Morta Arthur, Sir right. Thomas Mollery's, which he, he borrowed heavily from. Yeah, the, the book with the death of. King Arthur. I yeah. think the title that it's in French, which is it is. It's yeah. Surprisingly, a lot of Arthur books that were written were in French. Well, yeah, it's, <laughs> which or is there were heavily rom- romance romance yeah. novels. So you'll see, like a lot of times from the t- 13th century, 12th century of publications of King Arthur, they're more of a romance than anything else of no, no sweeping epics and stuff like that. It's true. Yeah. That there's elements of symbolism in it, but yeah. for the most part, with the Arthurian cycle. Um, you get that in the movie, but then you you also get some good um, good old fashioned uh, swordplay. Uh, yeah. You see arms and legs getting hacked off, and you know with the rousing sound of Wagner. I mean, yeah. that in and of itself, I I loved. You know, I think the, the interesting aspect of Merlin, he's not necessarily a good guy. 
No, he's not. He's, he's very not... ambiguous in this film. Right. He doesn't... And also, he's counselor, but he, he does... Like, what should I do next? Well, what do you think you should do? Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah he... What are you asking me for? You're the king. Yeah. You're, yeah. The sword picked you. You should tell... Yeah. Yeah. And there is some ambivalence with him because he's not all... He He's almost like, I, I am fate, you know? And right. he almost plays like a Greek chorus of fate. Uh, now he he uh, will you know he moves the story along to get what he wants you know yeah um, but everybody else makes decisions around him and he agrees with them like Uther wants Egrain okay well if you want her yep. you know um, I will he almost plays devil's advocate you're gonna have to give me something quid pro quo and that becomes Arthur you yeah. know. And uh, so he already has an idea of what he wants to do. Yep. Uh, the sword and the stone. Uh, he. There are a few times where he says, "I wasn't expecting that," <laughs> you know, which I thought was just great. <laughs> What's this? Yeah. You know, I when that was when um, uh, Arthur is knighted right. uh, by Urians, uh, and he was like, "Whoa, this is out of my grasp," because for the most part, he protects Arthur, and here it's like, you know. They didn't, you know, whatever the fates were, didn't tell me this. Um, the other interesting aspect of this movie, Excalibur, is how little of King Arthur there is in this movie. Yes, yes. Just, um, yeah, Nigel Terry, there, it very, there is not much. Almost like a supporting role. It, in, in fact, that's true. It's, uh, uh, there's a lot of Merlin. There's, yeah. uh, um, there's a lot of Lancelot and Guinevere in yeah. that romance. And... Arthur kind of plays second fiddle. It's almost like he's so important. It's just that you exist. Um, and then his knights kind of, you know, do his bidding around him. Um, it's like, oh, the land is suffering. Arthur starts aging. Yeah. You know, and so he's tied in with the land. Uh, but for the most part, it's the story of it's basically it's the story of the characters around Arthur. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it's John Borman's real son that plays Arthur's son, isn't it? Um, is that true? Oh, is it really? Yeah. But that plays Mordred? Yeah. Uh, I'll have to look that up. That I, would be interesting. We didn't, I, double, I, it's somebody, I think it's actually John Borman's own son. Awesome armor. Yeah. I love that cherub oh, armor. Oh, when you go to Comic-Cons and somebody's yeah. wearing it, you know where it's from. Oh, Even yeah. if you haven't seen the movie. It's right. it's iconic. You know, no one wears that that childlike, that cherub armor. Yeah. That's Mordred's armor. You know, and it's all in gold with that gold spear. Oh, man. It almost reminds you like uh, Mercury, the god yeah. Mercury. He's always that's, in gold. Yeah. Yes, that's, I was, yes, it yeah. really does. Yeah. yeah. And... And what a creepy little kid, too. <laughs> right, you yeah, know? yeah. His dad, they wheel his dad out. And yeah, I know. Just, yeah, I know. And, you, know <laughs> you seek the grail? Then follow me. Yeah, just, and then he has all the knights hanging from the tree. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, beautiful scene. Beautiful. Um, so, yeah, and always been, even beginning of the story, it's always been King Arthur, and it's always been Merlin yeah. as an advisor. It's always been the sword. It's it, always been the sword, yeah. Excalibur. It's always been Guinevere. I think a lot of the knights were added on to the Middle Ages. Yeah, that's um, true. That, yeah. And then they have very much Middle Age kind of names. But it's always been derived from Celtic. Yes. It came from there. It came from Wales. Yeah. Um, and he was a, he was a Welsh uh, 
um, yeah, in fact, the uh, if you look at the the flag of Wales, it has the dragon on it. Well, that's the pendragon, you know, that's Uther, yeah. Uther's pendragon, yeah. and that that's where that comes from. And um, a lot of the castles that you know equate with Arthur are in Wales yeah. or they're southern England. And uh, it's interesting how through time, historically, the kings of England actually kind of took almost as their mascot the story of Arthur, which right. is really interesting. Yeah, and I was going to tell you, like, the, when House of Tudor, when the War of Roses was over and the Tudors took over, they were so worried that they're uh, taking over the kingdom that they were going to, there wasn't their credibility was shot. They, yeah. they didn't think they had enough author, they didn't have authorship to do it. So the commissioned all these works for King Arthur. These oh, Henry, elab- Henry VIII. Yeah, okay. these lavish paintings uh, republications of stories and research yeah. which re- yeah. which gave a this great resurgence of Arthur yeah yeah and uh it's uh and, and even to this day that happens you know oh yeah we're getting another one this year we're getting another we're getting another Arthur yeah I think well so. Lord because <laughs> we, we, I mean, we had one guy Ritchie did one right yeah and well and that's why I said when guy Ritchie's came out uh each era deserves the Arthur it gets and my favorite, even to this day, is Excalibur, and I right. love Arthur films. Uh, the uh, the King Arthur that came out in the nineties. Uh, the I, Clive Owen one. They try yeah. to just try to get as realistic as possible, where he's a, right. a, a try Romanized to... uh, yeah. uh, soldier. Um, it was okay, right. but even but it missed the magic of Excalibur. Uh, Excalibur had yeah. that magic and a little bit of cynicism along with it too. Um, because it's not a happy story. No, you get a sense of dread throughout the whole thing. It is. It's a sense. It's very of, dark. And in the, if you know the Arthurian legend, chances that you do, you know that it's not going to be a happy story. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, it's like uh, uh, where Bridges turns to Robin Williams in The Fisher King and says, "Well, where would Arthur be without Guinevere?" And he, and uh, Rob Williams says, "Happily married, probably." <laughs> <laughs> it's like anybody that knows Arthur knows that's true. <laughs> There's betrayal and there is this idea, this idealism of purity that is always tainted. You know, good and evil. You can't have good without evil. Yep. And that is the main story. All right. Uh, we're going to take a little break and we're going to come back. We're going to talk about what is the most endearing thing about the movie. The Excellent. Ar- the armor. Yes. <laughs> Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is The Amazing Nerd Show. We're a podcast that takes a deep dive into nerd culture. Every episode, we will talk comics, movies, video games, and even wrestling. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Podbean. The Amazing Nerd Show. The show you never knew you wanted. Probably the most notable and probably the most endearing quality of the movie. Yes, and the thing is, is that um, there's a lot of symbolism in that too. If you notice in the beginning of the film, okay. um, all of the armor has a black tint to it. 
And as when Arthur uh, is uh, ruling, uh, it's all this silver, right. uh, silver armor, especially Lancelot's, which is just this. You know, he's gleaming, and right. a lot of people had problems with the uh, with the fact that. Uh, when they were in the armor and they were fighting, that you know you'd have a knight that would fall down, he just bounce right back up. Well, with armor, that doesn't happen. You're gonna be if you're down. That's one of the main reasons why you have a squire. You need a few people to to help you back up because because right, you're actually top heavy. Oh, you're top heavy, yeah. yeah. And here they were able to. You know, I didn't have a problem with it because I just took no. it as suspension as disbelief, and it's a story. So you know, it's like let's not get too heavy. But you know, it's it's fascinating how they got it to completely shine yeah. without any special effects. Nowadays, it totally would do. You know, oh. special effects, computer generated, oh, over easily. the top. Yeah. yeah. In fact, you remember they they redid Clash of the Titans. Yep. And Liam Neeson's Zeus and his armor. I go, that's probably what they would do now <laughs> if they did Excalibur. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Easily, and I don't give them any ideas. Excalibur <laughs> is good, just how it was made. I, you know, if I'm in a movie theater, and this has happened, if I'm in a movie theater and all of a sudden the previews are rolling and I see, you know. Coming next summer, you know, and I see X bum 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 bum. It's like, what are you doing? (laughs) There'll be a little part of me that's excited. I'm not gonna say that, you know. I'm thinking, ooh, but I'm most of me would be like, don't, you know, don't whiz on a Picasso, leave it alone. Well, there's somebody, yeah. Obviously, they're always going to be King Arthur movies. They're oh, gonna yeah. make, They're always going to make King Arthur movies. It's true. But this is this is all all the time. This one is regarded as the best. It is, and it's my favorite. And yeah. I have, and as far as the Arthur films that have come out after it, um, nothing is right. Yeah, nothing has uh, um, toppled it. You know, now if there is an Arthur film that is like, wow, that was brilliant, I'll, I'll agree. It's like, whoa. You know, Excalibur has been knighted. Yeah, I mean, has been uh, crowned. It, it, it uh, this one beats it. And, now, uh, I would like to, there's a little bit of green. Have you noticed that even on the sword and everything? Is it, that an homage to like heritage? I think it is. Yeah, yeah. and because I think they're trying to do like a little bit of symbolism because Merlin comes from nature. That's yep. actually and there was and that was his. Uh, uh, that's where his powers come from. Like, yeah, as a druid. And uh, the old religion, and they talk about the old religion, and they're also talking about the new religion, which was Christianity, and how the two are. And and Merlin is like, he's totally fine with it. It's like, well, it's it's right. it's the time of things. You well, know? King, yeah, the King Arthur has always been the intersection of old and the yeah, new, right? Where he says, you know, the one God is moving out the many gods, which, in a sense, he's they're legitimizing the old gods because. You know, well, they're moving out. Yeah. It's not as if they don't exist. But then the re- then you have the one God, which there he's acknowledging as well. Um, and then he's also a, a he's not a man of this world. He's you know he's not even human. Right. And so he has this kind of understanding that um, well, time ebbs and flows, and you know it's he's from a spiritual plane. Right. That's um, that's a good. I forget. Yeah, yeah. the analogy. Um, my my little bit of. My comical point is when he takes the sword out of the stone. It looks and shot a little bit almost Monty Python. Yeah, it does. <laughs> In fact, if I think if they had Monty Python 
did it would look kind of like that because he puts it back in, right? Yeah, he does. I didn't do anything. Right? <laughs> you must put it back. <laughs> oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, <laughs> there, yeah, there is. It wasn't very ceremonial. Yeah. People are like, all right, he did it. Well, nobody else can do it. See, you can't do it. So he has to be. And every time he takes the sword out, there's like this Wagner music right, that yeah. comes out. You know, it's not, you just can't take it out. All of a sudden you take it out and the orchestra goes, you know, one and a two and bump, bump. And then, well, then it's Patrick Stewart's time to shine because he oh, gets validation, right? If yep. that's him, then that's who I serve. And it's for everybody that is watching for the first time can look and watch and see. That's Patrick Stewart. <laughs> right. But yeah. And he still didn't have hair. <laughs> oh, I know he didn't. Oh, my God. And it's a, it's a great scene. It's a, um, But it is very Monty Python-esque. <laughs> right. Well, it's the shock of it, I think. Yeah. I think I think John Borman want, didn't want it to be ceremonial. I think he tried to, like, yeah, come I, across as this... All right, it happened, and people are actually like, well, what do we do? <laughs> yeah, right. That's true. Yeah. It's, and uh, he, he created that kind of, uh, he, well, the chaos of the land without a king, you know? it's And it's like, oh, we got a king. Well, then oh. all of a sudden there's a schism. And uh, there's the scenes that are filmed in Excalibur, probably the most beautiful scenes, like where you see the, um, uh, the knights going over, you know, and they're they're riding their horses with the flags and the banners, and there's this the music of uh, Carmina Barana is is playing, Carl yeah. uh, Orff's right yeah yeah and they're underneath the shroud of apple blossoms as they're almost raining on on the knights. It's a beautiful scene. It's like yeah. my God, you just ah you <laughs> feel this nationalist spirit, you know, and it's just it's just something. Um, Helen Mirren plays. Uh, Morgan or Morgana. Yeah, Morgana Lafay. Morgana. Um, she was in uh, Caliglia. She's very much was a prominent figure, and um, I like the shots of her castle. Yeah. Um, and her dealings with obviously she's had some kind of dealing with Merlin. Yep. And something that didn't go smooth. Um, a lot of people, if they ever do have a criticism of the movie, is the the really the treatment of Guinevere. I mean, she doesn't have really a lot of lines. No, she, she doesn't. She just appears. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, here I am. And then she's known to betray Arthur. And yeah. it's, you know, uh, for Lancelot, you know, now Lancelot's aware of it. He tries to keep away from the castle so nothing can happen. Yeah. Well, she pursues him then. And, you know, so what did she do? She does the only thing that can redeem herself. She becomes a nun. <laughs> and then takes his sword. Right. Um, the other thing I have is, like, the interjection of the Holy Girl. It seemed a little just cut it in there. It did. Yeah, yeah a little bit. It's, it's almost like, okay, time for the grail scene. <laughs> and then we go away. But yeah. I think everybody – it's something like if they didn't have it, people would be upset with it. Oh yeah, because he did he, everything else. You well, put, I know. Yeah. You put everything else in there. You needed to put something about that. You you have to touch upon the Grail. It's yeah. it's one of the most well known of the legends. I mean, there's a bunch of legends with Arthur, yeah. but that one is is very important. And I think the elaborate set design of where it's kept the house. Yeah, it looks beautiful. Who I like that. am I? <laughs> Who am I? Right. <laughs> you are my Lord and King. <laughs> yeah, and then you see it kind of pouring, and he's yeah. he, and he sees it in this haze of hallucination. And uh, uh, that's with Percival, and Percival finally gets it, and then he falls into this uh, this lake, 
and it's he's been in this armor for I think about ten years. <laughs> yeah, yep. and it's yep. just—I don't know about you, but it's like after he's pulling off this ten-year-old armor, it's like, well, that just seems refreshing, you know. But so uh, I I did a little bit of a fib because I actually okay. there's our snippets of the documentary oh. on YouTube, just oh. a few minutes. Um, and John see. Borman said when he shot the ship sailing away. Not the not the the drew end. Well, the ship end. Yeah, the oh with the, the with the angels on it. Yeah, angels on it. When he's, at the end of the film. At close, yeah, not the end end, but it's, you know the coda. Yeah, the coda. Um, where they're sailing he, to Avalon. I yeah, and it was actually one of the last things he did shoot. Was he goes, I broke down and cried. <laughs> oh God, I could see why. Yeah, he goes, we worked so hard for all this, oh, and it's I like see, I see what you mean. Okay. Yeah, and he goes, and it's it's because. It's, it's it's almost like he's really is dying. You know, yeah. he, he worked so hard on this project, he gave birth to it, and then the last scene is sailing, just standing on shore, filming this boat sailing away. I know, <laughs> and it's it, it becomes a part of you, and yeah. here's here it, it's at the end, and he's been known to film in kind of like a chronological order. Sometimes directors they'll you know, oh, we're gonna start the end, then we'll work backwards, but. I think he wanted to. I think he wanted to film that the last yeah. part because that is the last part. It is, yeah. and it's, uh, uh, and it's it's probably out of what you would consider a sad movie, and it's a full meal deal too after watching Excalibur because uh, you just yeah, I, and that's how I feel. It's like I feel yeah. like I just read the book Lamorta Arthur after seeing the movie. Right. You know, I just got the visions of the Grail. And, no, this is not fast food film. This no, is heavy. Du- it, it's heavy duty, and, and it's and the thing is, it's it's not um, like Indiana Jones. It's it's not a popcorn movie. I mean, it. I think the 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 studio was trying to sell it as a popcorn film for right. the summer. Yeah. But it's heavy stuff. And so I think you had a lot of kids that were like, oh, God, I feel like it's... I'm in literature class, <laughs> you know? Right. I can get understand how that would yeah. be. Some kids were like, I expected sweeping action. Yep. And, and I didn't get that. Hey, that's true. And yeah. there, there, granted, there is some, but it's, it's mostly uh, done in this kind of stilted symbolism. You know, of a movie. Yeah. Uh, Borman actually being an intellectual, you know, and that, I think that's... I, I don't think the audience was expecting that, <laughs> you know. Um, we have a few more minutes. Um, I would add, how do you think he shot that end? Throwing uh, the sword in the lake. If you don't, if you haven't seen it, you don't want to talk about it, just fast forward to this podcast. But, yeah. How do you think he shot that? Because I sat and wondered, how did he shoot that? You mean with the the sun? I mean the the, the throw the snort in the water. I know, and it it's right at dawn, and the 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 skylight, everything yeah. is beautiful, and I could tell it's outside. So yeah, I want to know how oh, he, he he has it at the okay, he has it at the tip. Right, but then and how he, did he get? Because the person is in the water. Yeah, and it's like you know because the hands hold still. That's true, and I and I think because he didn't do reverse shooting, which no. is reverse shooting, but obviously had to have to throw it. Yeah, and he throws it like you would throw a dagger. He yeah. has it by the tip, and then he tosses it, and uh, um, it just goes, you know, hilt uh, over hilt over blade, hilt over blade, and then Lady and Lake picks it up. Dun dun bum bum bum. Yeah, and she gets it. Yeah, that's a beautiful catch, lady. <laughs> right. I want to know how he filmed the catch because yeah. it looks. I don't know if they just. If they have somebody on top just draped it to her hand. And then it's, you know, because it doesn't look like it was animated. You know, no. like they, you know, like they uh, uh, animated it in there. It, it looks legitimate. Right. Yeah. It's um, uh, not to take anything away from Sam Neill from Merlin, who actually um, 
tossed it like, <laughs> take it back, lady, <laughs> you know, over the shoulder. But uh, I don't know how they did that. Yeah, yeah it would be interesting to find out. It would. I, I would imagine way. somebody's on a platform above the camera. Yeah, right. It's going to be some. It's movies are always like a magic trick. It's true. If anybody has any idea, please, you know, uh, write to us so we can kind of figure this out. <laughs> We'd love that. Uh, so, uh, uh, Minnesota Connection. I don't have one. And we don't have one. I don't but. have one. But I wanted to give out before we go. Um, uh, before I mentioned, he not only directed it, but he shot the camera work for it. Did he really? Yeah. Um, next to Barry Lyndon, which I think is probably one of the most beautiful films ever. You know, well, if you just were talking about filming, yeah. uh, um, shot, you know, beautifully shot. Excalibur is right up there. I think he got, you know, he, he got very artistic with, you see certain scenes where, you know, you put the Vaseline on the lens so it looks misty. Very, very misty does. Yeah. I think they had a couple fog machines. I, they must have, yeah. Because I think he wanted to invoke with the fog and with the, that this is otherworldly. And, you know. But it is epic. It's it very is. meaty. It's got a lot of content. Um, definitely not something that you could just quickly digest. Yes, and it's um, unfortunately the the Arthur films that we've had um, after Excalibur. You know, people could say, you know, oh, it's plotting, it's whatever. Yeah. Uh, we have not had um, a movie so poetic about Arthur than yeah. Excalibur. I think you you were lucky because you were a kid from yeah. seventy from seventy six to eighty five. You just got bombarded with. <laughs> I know. Great movies. We really did. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, and it's it, you think about that. Yeah, just stumbling along. I remember going to Fargo Theater with my brother and happening to see Star Wars, and like, just you know, uh, being just dazzled. You know, you don't move right. after you see that movie. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it just kept on coming. Superman, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, you started. My generation got spoiled. It yeah. did. It just bombarded with epics. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's the end of the podcast. Uh, 